seems like I've been up here already today. <laughs> well, we've read the, actually the passage of Scripture that I was going to read. Uh, we've already read as our call to worship. So uh, before we begin our study, let's just pause for prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and care. We especially thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Savior that you sent to this world to save us from our sins. That was uh, Jesus Christ's purpose, uh, imagining that God became a man. There are many men that want to become God, but truly magnificent to think God became man. Father, we would ask that these moments before us that you would use the Word and that the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that we would look to you for guidance as we open our lives, our hearts, everything that we are to you, Father, may you fill us with yourself. And may, Father, this be a, a mo- these moments be refreshing, insightful, opportunity for us to, re- to worship and to praise you. We thank you for those that have come out this afternoon. I would ask that you'd bless them and their families, Father, especially during this blessed season. Thank you again for what you're going to accomplish. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the story in, uh, that, we've read, that we read in, in Luke chapter 2 is one that you've no doubt maybe one of the most... Uh, well-rehearsed readings that that you have, actually, in your background. It's used regularly, of course, at this time of the season. And uh, today, there's kind of a twofold, uh, I guess, the way I'd like to look at it. I'm always interested in, um, in the stories or whatever you're involved in, who the players are, who are the ones that are, the, are, are involved, and, and what do they bring to it? And today in Luke uh, chapter 2, it's interesting that I want to look at it from a standpoint of uh, there, there was a flurry of activity and, and, you, and there, obviously we're from a position we can look back and we can see that Jesus Christ came to earth and in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 it says in the fullness of times. In fact, take that. That's a place that you should uh, be familiar with. Go to Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 if you have your Bibles with you today. Galatians 4 4. I find it interesting uh, how this is said. Galatians 4 4. And you, and you wonder, well, what was specific? What was special about this time? All I know was just the right time. Galatians 4 4 said, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman and made under the law. Uh, at just the right time, God sent Jesus Christ. The God-man, we've sung of it, we sang of it today, Emmanuel, that to be God with us. Um, up until that point, until Jesus Christ came to earth, the only thing we had about God, what was, the people had, was what was written about him. There was character uh, situations that you could see, but you really couldn't see. And it says that Jesus Christ was the fullness of God. Everything that God was is indwelt within Jesus Christ. That's, that blows my mind. Okay, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's as perfect a representation. It's, it's even beyond representation. It's fully God, and yet fully man. So you'd say, well, what, what, I mean, wouldn't this be a grandiose announcement? Wouldn't there be, I mean, announcements in papers and in, on television? And you say there was no television. It was in the fullness of time, right? So everything possible, it would have all been to bring people to the awareness of who Jesus was and he's coming. The Messiah is coming for 400 years. God hadn't spoken. Well, think of that. How long has America been a nation? 200 plus years. Take it times two. That's how long since God had spoken. How you doing? Do you think there was a few that said, 
Where's God? Why is he not talking to us? After Malachi, there was 400 silent years. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. Unannounced. But let's take a look as we work through our our text today. Let's go again to Luke chapter 2 and we find, let's meet some of the people that are involved. Now, the other thing as we're saying this, it's so interesting to me. And you take the Old Testament and and that is really uh, the historical events and these prophecies that are laid out. In fact, Isaiah, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Isaiah would have had predictions 700 years before this time. Now, how would you like to make a prediction? Right here, folks, I want you all to write down. No, I don't want you to do that. If you were going to make a prediction today, 700 years in advance, I'm going to go ahead and say you're not going to be right. I can't imagine our world in 700 years. In fact, it's, it's spooky to me to imagine another 700 years. What would we look like? Don't go there too far. It's crazy, isn't it? Just to watch how we've fallen apart as a society in over 200 years. We started out so strong in America, weren't we? It was amazing. We were humble. We were seeking after God. We were wanting to worship that supreme God. And today, we've missed him. We don't even know where he's at. If you doubt that, just read the ledgers of Washington, D.C. today. We've missed Jesus. We've missed him. Well, I'm here to say that we've been blessed. But there's also people in this day, in this story that we're reading in Luke, that miss Jesus as well. Let's start out in verse 1. It said, It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, there's some things within that verse that are interesting. Um, There was a prophecy. In fact, I'd like you to see it in your own Bible. Turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Now, Luke, he makes no mention of this. Just hold your place. We'll be right back. Find Micah, the little book of Micah. Micah, chapter 5, and verse 2. <clears throat> I don't hear a lot of pages, Russ. I mean, you're really good or you gave up? I'm not sure which it is. So use your index if you need to. Micah, the, uh, uh, a prophet that declared this quite a ways in advance, actually. And he said this in verse 2, chapter 5. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee... Shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting? Essentially, Micah is making a prophecy that this Messiah, this one, will come and be born in Bethlehem. Okay, now, uh, Larry, I'm going to have you throw a map up on the wall for, for a moment here. I, I, we'll just kind of work our way through it. Um, can, you, can, can you see it from back there, maybe? I don't know what I did with my laser pointer either. Does anyone know where that's at? You do? Very good. Very good. And you found it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Do you still need a pen? I got a pen here. Okay. Trade you. All right. So, so where do you? Where, where are uh, Mary and Joseph? We need, well, I mean, we're kind of bringing those right into the story, but you already know that already. That Mary and Joseph are the parents. Mary is the mother, and and uh, Joseph would be the physical. Uh, presence father. He's not the father, but he's, he's the dad, if you will, looking over Jesus Christ. So uh, where, what's this town right here? Can you guys yeah. see that? Yeah. Nazareth. So Nazareth is where they're living. That's where Joseph and Mary are come. Now, Caesar Augustus, what do you know about him? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Other than he's a, he's a Roman, right? 
and he's a long ways away. Now, the thing that's interesting to me, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because it seems like it's the right time to do this, is Caesar Augustus obviously would have come from the, from the, the Roman Empire. And so think about this right now. In his tenure, he was, he was emperor from 27 B.C. technically. There was actually a triumphant, which there was three that were re- ruling and reigning. Uh, Mark Antony, and there was another guy, Lepidatus, I think it is, L-E-P-I-D-U-S. And together for a short time, they were the three kind of leading the gang if you're, after Julius Caesar was an- assassinated. Okay? And believe this or not, Julius Caesar never had a son. Oh, he did. It was with Cleopatra, it was thought to be, who was in Egypt. It, this, this is a soap opera that you can't keep up with. But I'm just going to give you enough details. But you know what? His grandnephew was a man by the name of, spoken in the scripture, of Augustus Caesar. Now, that's not his real name. His name is Octavian and he was a grandnephew of Julius Caesar. And in his late teens, when Julius Caesar was assassinated, he willed everything and the position of, not emperorship at that time, but to be leading, to take his position to Octavian, who became Augustus Caesar. And in his tenure, which was technically then when he was sole emperor, was from 20... You guys okay with history today? Too bad if you're not, because we're going to get him a little bit. Uh, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., that was his tenure of rule and reign, 40 years. And in that time, it's really interesting, his, his territory doubled in capacity. Now think of this for a moment. Remember Galatians 4.4? We sit in the fullness of time. Now think of this. There's probably never been a time before or after that literally the borders would have been soft. What I mean by that is you could, you could go and come. It's, it's difficult for us even to go into Mexico or into Canada right now, isn't it? Think of it on a worldwide scale. Of the inhabited world right then, Augustus Caesar made a major point of making language common, and the roadways were enhanced beyond what you could even imagine in that day and age. And there was one ruler. That sounds perfect to be able to spread the good news. You see that all came together? How God just just meticulously put that together? Augustus Caesar. He was quite a guy. Um, I could go on for quite a bit more time, but suffice it to say, the family was certainly had some challenges. Um, actually, we'll be, we'll be coming back to him in a moment. We'll come back to him. Uh, with, with saying this, though, there's, there's something interesting. They found some... Uh, some plaques and some rocks. I, I'm saying rocks. I should say not rocks sounds kind of, that, that's just me, a farmer. You know, I pick up rocks, throw them in a pile. But they would have etched things on this thing. And it said this of Octavian or Augustus Caesar, Savior of the world. Isn't that interesting? Ah, he missed it though, didn't he? He missed it. He missed it. Well, let's keep going. Uh, Augustus Caesar or Caesar Augustus, as it says. And he says, all the world should be taxed. Okay. That seems like one of the things that if you were an Israelite or a Jew, you would really dislike that. Because in this land of Israel, it is being in, um, taken over by, just like every other nation in the world, by Rome. Who would want to pay taxes to Rome? Uh, the answer is no. No one. Okay. You guys can you just relax. Let's play along here a little bit. Let's play. And so that would be the most, in fact, you know, the most disliked person in Israel during this time and age was a tax collector because they were literally an, Isra- an Israelite that was collecting taxes for Rome. Oh, my goodness. Right? In fact, one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. 
right? Starting to see, what I want you to do is I want you to, I want to slip you into the geography and the context of the time in which we're working, okay? Rome is in charge, and now the first, it's, it's the first decree, it's the first decree to go get situated so we know how to tax you. Oh, goody. Goody gumdrops. Now, again, it's interesting, you know, um, if we, we're not going to do it today, but if, if you go back to Matthew, you'll find where Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Mary, who is probably middle teens at the latest. And he announces to her, you are going to have a son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And she says, how can that be? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will become pregnant with the Son of God. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Chapter 1, verse 37. Okay, she's okay with that. How about Joseph? They've been engaged. Espoused is the word you use and it's very, very... It's, it's not like engagement that we have today. This is, it's just like you're married. She went to be with Elizabeth for three months, which I think was a great idea, God. Get her in the care of someone that understands what's going on. How would you like to be a teenage girl of which this took place? Who would understand? Exactly. And you come home, and the first meeting with Joseph was, Mary, you're, you're so, you're, you're, where was, what? Poor Joseph, right? Ay, ay, ay. Do you think this was an easy cakewalk? To be the bearer of the Messiah? In fact, Joseph is trying to figure out what to do next. He's wrestling with He's not sleeping at night. I probably wouldn't be either if I would have been Joseph right then. What, what do I do? What's going to happen next? And an angel, the same angel, appeared to Joseph. He said, Joseph? The baby that Mary is carrying is the Son of God. I, 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 might, I might want to hear that a couple more times, right? Because it doesn't fit the dialogue, the narrative. That, how could that possibly be? And yet, it says he, he then took Mary to be his wife. Do you know how difficult that was for Joseph? Do you know how difficult that was for Mary? I'm letting your minds work. It was difficult, wasn't it? To do the perfect thing that we are sitting here today, the recipients of, the benefits of the grace of God. And those two paid an enormous price. But they didn't miss Christmas. They didn't miss Jesus. Now, again, I'm just wondering, now, wait a minute. God's really setting himself up here for failure. He says that the baby will be born in Bethlehem. Now, we know as we read through the, through the Gospels that Joseph and Mary, have, it's been announced to them that they are going to have the Messiah. So how are we going to go from Nazareth, which is up here in the northern part, if you will, northern Samaria, and where's Bethlehem? It's down here, south of Jerusalem. Okay. Why would a pregnant woman... 
want to go. It, have you guys tried to figure out how far that is? Now, on this map, it looks like a long ways. It's about 90 miles. On a donkey, at best. Didn't grab the train. Didn't grab the jet. Didn't drag the car. Got a donkey. Oh, Joseph, I cannot wait to go on this trip with you. And then you may say, well, why didn't she stay home? I want to take you back. Who do you think would have cared for her in Joseph's absence? The Bible doesn't say. I'm convinced they were alone, those two. They were alone. They would have been isolated. The very essence of the whole situation would oh, man, I'm not going to get involved in that. And the other thing we know, if you, if you track through genealogy, uh, Joseph was of David's lineage, but so was Mary. And where was David born? This is an easy one. Dun, dun, dun. Bethlehem, look at you guys go. You didn't miss a, a beat, did you? So they've got to go back to none other than Bethlehem. God says, wasn't that good? Wasn't that good? But now I'm also saying it's got to be within a very small window. How are you going to know when Mary's going to have her child? Well, remember, what does Galatians 4, 4 say? In the fullness of time. And that scripture, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, to me is pretty cool. To watching over the course of time, the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, just like God said. And you have problems today that you say, I cannot imagine how God's going to fix this. If God can take the Messiah in two teenagers and bring them to be, have that child born in Bethlehem, which was 85 miles away, and you say, well, that's not a big deal. It was a big deal then to find the perfect right time because they didn't live there. I'm here to say that with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. I think we're done with that. Laramie. Let's keep going. And this taxing was the first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. I want to tell you just a quick little story about this. Uh, this guy, Cyrenius, um, it's interesting that they found uh, another uh, a tablet or uh, some type of inscription that placed him as being the governor of Syria in this area like in 30. 3 AD. It was, in, it, was, it was later than this, and, the, and, the, and they said, Aha! There's something wrong. The Bible's wrong. Until they found another one that said he actually served twice. Ah, isn't that something how that works out? Perfect. Perfect. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. We've already described that. Uh, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, as well was Mary his wife. And it says, you notice know, it went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. And it was, it was an upward trip. Geographically, it was a climb to get to that little town of Bethlehem. He was to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swathing clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Uh, it's just rather, you know, it's almost like, let's take a couple of chapters and work on this birth thing. Let's, let's talk about how grandiose and majestic Jesus Christ is. And this is the beginning of the saving of mankind forever because of sin's going to be canceled. It's going to be taken care of. And it just says she brought forth her firstborn son. Well, what hospital was that? Where could we send letters? Where could we send flowers to? Where could we kind of, what does it say it was? In, in, a, in a manger. Uh, that means a feed trough. That, that for a feed, a feed trough. Emmanuel is born in a feed trough. <laughs> right? Are, are you soaking it in? And do you know why? Why was he born in a feed trough? There was no room in the inn. There was no room. Now, he is the most chastised guy in all of the history about the biblical uh, story about Jesus' birth is the poor old innkeeper. He never even got a name, right? But have any, did you know in one of those little nativity scenes or you had a play in a church somewhere of years gone by and you were a youngster? How many of you played or did anyone play the innkeeper? Anybody? The innkeeper's wife. Oh, my. He must have been a brutal guy, right? Right? In fact, believe this or not, believe this or not, there have been some plays of which they had an innkeeper's son who later became Barabbas, who was the one that literally Jesus took place of. Now, that is stretching. But do you see the, the diabolical innkeeper? In fact, and I will have to say this, the whole circumstance, we're going to be talking about him in just a second. But think about this for a moment. As he would have opened that door, and, and we don't know a lot. We, you know, it's, Bethlehem is a small community. There's not a lot going on. And keep in mind, being out of David's lineage, guess what? There was probably a whole lot of people that would have been there to get what? To be registered to be taxed. The other thing I'm convinced of is this. Have, this may be crowding, so nobody raise your hands, but how many of you do your taxes like April 14th? Don't raise your hands. I, see, I can see that you are, but you're out there. I'm convinced it's exactly the same way here because finally Augustus Caesar put his foot down and he said, you guys will sign up and get registered for taxes. I'm convinced of that. And here they come, right? Last minute, got to get her done. But what would make an innkeeper, as Joseph would have knocked on the door, and he opens up and says, what do you want? I wonder if we could get a room. Oh, we're full. And oh, my. <laughs> right? The son of God was born in a feed trough. Because there was no room in the inn. Now that innkeeper missed Jesus. That innkeeper missed Christmas, that first one, didn't he? Now again, I'm not choosing December 25th to be the date that Jesus was born. We, we know better than that. But the point of the matter is he was born on a day in the calendar. And that day was a day like any other in downtown Bethlehem. And this man missed Jesus. How did he do it? How did he do it? Just like a lot of people miss Jesus today. He was preoccupied. 
What do you think he was preoccupied with? Honey, you've got to get, uh, there's some beds over there. We've got to get, and we've got to get some food. And we've got, we got a whole bunch of people and we're booked and we're stacked. And I don't know what to do. How am I doing? That's exactly what would have been happening to that man. Who cares about the pregnant wife? We're filled up, people. Right? He was probably frustrated even. Was that too loud? I'm sorry. Amen. <laughs> All right. Tony likes it, right? But isn't it so easy for us to become so preoccupied we miss Jesus? I mean, when we poke a finger at the innkeeper, we better say, you know what? I've been pretty preoccupied many times too. I've missed Jesus when he's maybe speaking to me, when he wants me to do something, and I'm so busy accomplishing what? At the end of the eternity, you know what that day would be to that innkeeper ultimately? He missed Jesus. He was preoccupied. But he wasn't the only one that missed him. Let's go to our next guy. And we're going to jump backwards to Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 2. And let's look at verse 1. We're going to find another guy. It wasn't in our text, but we, he missed him. He missed Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, verse 1. And now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? <gasps> now you've got Herod's attention, don't you? Whoa, stop a moment. What do you mean? Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You said the king word. And why would, why would he be so touchy about that? Why would, why would Herod be so touchy about that word? Why he was. He was really touchy. Why was that? Because he wasn't supposed to be king. He was not even a Jew. He was an Edomite, which Jews don't like Edomites. He was on the other side of the tracks. I mean, on the other side of the river, right? But how did he get to be king of Israel then? How did he get to do that? What's the story? Well, he had kind of ponied up to the Romans and was a pretty good, goody, good two-shoes and pretty soon they said, you know what, why don't you... And by the way, they like to have some sense of soft borders. They like to have some sense of, of local control. As long as everybody adhered to the overall general umbrella and plan that Rome is in charge, Augustus Caesar was really good about that. That's how he had 200 years of peace. He built in the foundations of allowing people to do small stuff as long as they paid attention to the big stuff. And Herod was pretty good at politics. And he knew how to get himself aligned right. And pretty soon, lo and behold, guess what? <laughs> the Caesar made him the king of Israel. Now, how many like that? Only Herod's family. <laughs> the rest of them despised him. And so now this, let's keep going. Come back to our narrative. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now, these are Gentiles that have come a long ways. In fact, it's thought probably 900 miles. It took them a couple of years. They see this star and their astrologers look at this star and it just, it just shows up over Bethlehem. And they, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Uh, don't you love it when somebody's paying attention to that? And they actually follow after what God is letting them seek after? And they drive into Jerusalem. Drive. Okay, they rode into Jerusalem. See how I am? I'm always, everything's so, you know. Anyway, so they, they just about did it again. They rode into Jerusalem and said, where's, where's this king of the Jews? King of the Jews? What's Herod do next? 
What would you do if you heard there's a king of the Jews that's being born somewhere around here? What would you do? If you're, now, slip into Herod's sandals for just a second. What would, what would you do? What would you do? Go find somebody that knows. Who would that be? Well, the religious leaders, the smarty pants, the scribes, the Pharisees, all those guys that know all this stuff. And he calls them all in and he says, where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born? Oh, that's, that's easy. In fact, let's watch this. This, this is cool. Um, We've got a lot going on here. When, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And, and troubled doesn't do it justice. That is like terror on steroids. And all of Jerusalem with him. The whole place is just, whew, what's going on? When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ, that is the Messiah, should be born. And they said of him, well, we're going to go study. and we're going to... No, they said this in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And now Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not thou the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people, Israel. It just popped off Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Just boom, there it is. It's right there. Well, that's, that's where the Messiah is going to be born. Oh, why'd you want to know? We're going to talk about those guys in a minute. But Herod, what does he say now? Oh, he's cool. He's coy. He's sharp. Oh, he says, uh, uh, wise men? How many? What? There was three, right? No, we don't know that. There was three gifts, right? Could have been a dozen. Could have been who knows how many. But here's this entourage, and it was enough to make an impact of riding into Jerusalem. They made an impact. The whole place is stirred up. Herod comes back. Uh, I'll tell you what. I've got a deal for you. Would you please go and find the king of the Jews? And then come back and tell me so I can go and kill. I mean, worship him. Right? Oh, my goodness, right? And you know what they did. God warned them in a dream after they went and found him and presented their gifts and said, Glory to God in the highest, we have seen the Messiah. The Gentiles have come to worship. And then God said, don't go back home that way. Go another way. And, of course, Herod, when he found out, he said, you know, I wonder where those guys are at. They should have been back by now. Oh, by the way, do you know how far it is to Bethlehem from Jerusalem? Actually, let me, why don't you show that map back up there just for a second? Just, just a second. Can you do that? Yeah, here we go. So, you know, now they came from uh, Nazareth down to Bethlehem right there. Now, that says that the wise men... They came in all the way. Oh, no, let's see. Let's keep coming here. Oh, they were in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. <gasps> that looks like that's not too far. <laughs> in fact, ladies and gentlemen, it's probably be about three to five miles. Now, I want to answer two people at the same time. And I'm coming I'm going to go back. You know what's that really surprised me? Uh, Herod didn't know. He just flat didn't know. He was afraid. He was terrorized by the fact that there was a real king of the Jews. And he was afraid he was going to lose his power. He didn't have any popularity, but he had power, money, fame, all of the things that he did not want to lose because of a brand new king. And I'm here to say, ladies and gentlemen, there's a whole lot of people today that are just like King Herod. They are not that brutal. They're not that terroristic. But but I'm telling you, trust me, they're not ready to find a Jesus of which they have to give up things that they hang on to. They have their own things that they don't want to let go of at any cost. The ones that do surprise me, though, are the religious leaders. They're not surprised at all. King of the Jews, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Yep. 
Sure enough. Got it. Why did you want to know? This one here is the worst. You have religious leaders, and this is the top notch. This is the top flight. These are the learned ones. They know the scriptures. They can rehearse them. They can talk to you. They can dictate them back to you. And they're the ones that said it's not worth us sending anyone five miles to find out if that's true. That is ridiculous, is it not? That is truly a prideful indifference. We don't need him. We don't need Jesus. We're okay. We've got alliances with Herod. Do you notice it was not a big struggle to find them? They're all probably even have their own offices in the complex. You say, Larry, you're, you're stretching it. It's okay, but you see, it didn't take any time at all. They came. They told him. It wasn't like, we're not going to tell you nothing. We don't like you. No, it was, it, you can, do you see it? Do you see it? It's in there. There's an alliance going on. And to them, total indifference for the Messiah to show up. Wow. They missed Jesus. Now, that, that doesn't even seem possible, does it? And yet today, ladies and gentlemen, there are churches of which Jesus is not even inside the church. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Revelation chapter 3. Read it for yourself. The church of Laodicea, which is probably a good picture of the latter church of which we find just before the coming of Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, it speaks of Jesus Christ knocking on the door, asking to be let in of a church. It's happening today, all over, just like it did with these folks. Why? Because they feel very confident and comfortable in everything that they have. We don't need a Savior. Does this start to sound familiar? This could be dated today, couldn't it? Let's keep going. Let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 2. That's three of them. Are you guys keeping track? The ones that missed Jesus? i got to find one. Here we go. So you guys tell me, who missed Jesus? Innkeeper. And then who? Herod. And I'm going to just say religious leaders. How's that? That doesn't even sound quite right, does it? But you know, sometimes religion is the worst thing in the world. It keeps us from Jesus. It keeps us from Jesus. That's what they did. In fact, you find it all through. Remember the one people that he had, the one group of people he had no time for in the sense of patience, long-suffering? The religious leaders. You know, when's the last time you called somebody a viper or a, or a bruised snakes? Doesn't make friends, does it? Doesn't make friends. And Jesus laid it out there. He laid it out there because they were, get this is important, because they were keeping people from Jesus. Okay, number four, let's go back to, where did I tell you to go? Luke chapter 2, let's go back there, Luke chapter 2, and let's go now. Luke chapter 2, and let's look at verse 8. Um, now, let's read verse 7 again. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has been born. There's no room in the inn. He's in a, he's in a, uh, a feed trough and, and more than likely in a stable. I mean, that's where feed troughs are, correct? I mean, it doesn't say that, but you see the inference and the, the sense of how we're extrapolating that. Uh, a feed trough is probably not going to be in a room in the motel. Enjoy your feed trough. No, 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 right? 
or, you know, in the morning when you have your brunch or, what, or whatever, what do they call that? Continental breakfast? They go down to the feed trough. No, of course not. But now think of this. How do you get, what do they have today? If you go to a motel, it's in Dillon or anywhere across the country, there's a motel for the people to stay. And then what's outside of the motel or hotel? A parking lot. Why? Because somehow they got to get there. Right? Well, I think it's very much the same way. Here is this inn of which there's people staying inside. Guess what? You'd have to have some place for the animals to be taken care of. That's where they got to stay. All by themselves. Because no one apparently knew about this. In fact, look at this. In verse 8, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, um, if you were a shepherd around Bethlehem or Jerusalem, um, let's, let's kind of work this, uh, the, um, oh, what should we say? Uh, maybe the, the, the levels of how you stand, okay? We've already talked about Herod. He's pretty up there, right? He's pretty, even by his own standards. He's, if, you did, if you didn't think he was a cool guy, he would tell you. And then, obviously, the religious leaders are they're pretty high. And then there'd probably be city officials, and there would be, uh, you see where I'm going with this? Do you know who's at the dead bottom last, bottom rung of the ladder? Shepherds. 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 In fact, I, I want you, it's almost universal. Do you remember back in um, the book of Genesis and, and the, uh, the Israelites, what were they known for? They were shepherds. That's what they did. They did sheep, right? Okay. And, and Joseph, who was expedited through God's providence to get to Egypt early, he brings his brothers and his whole family, and the Pharaoh says, why don't we send them to the land of Goshen? That would be the place that would be a long ways away, and we don't have to have shepherds in Egypt proper, right? It's been that way forever. In fact, quite honestly, I don't care for sheep myself. <laughs> and Lois isn't even here to defend herself, right? At any rate, the shepherds are who is announced by the angels to go and see this baby Jesus. What does that mean for the rest of Jerusalem? They missed Jesus. You know, the popular circles today in our country today, the ones that are in the right places at the right times, and I've heard all kinds of things in the last couple of weeks, maybe even less than that, in the, in the fundraisers and all of those sorts of things, and you're smiling probably a little bit. But you know amazing? There probably wasn't a lot of Jesus talk in there, was there? Probably wasn't a lot of Jesus talk. You know, God knew who would listen and who would want to see this Messiah. And he, and he, he sends the angels, he said, tell those guys, they'll go. Remember, remember, don't be too, don't miss this. The religious leaders who knew where Jesus was born wouldn't even go, let alone the common citizen. It's amazing, isn't it? Shepherds didn't miss it. In fact, watch this. What do they do? Uh, one of the things I'd also like to add to this, it says they're watching their flock by night. Again, we've already said the close proximity between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, probably two to five miles, Okay. Now, it's thought as the temple was in Jerusalem, so obviously there's a whole lot of sacrifices going on, right? You need a whole lot of sheep. And it's thought that these shepherds were the ones that were probably guarding or taking care and herding those sheep that were going to be needed for sacrifices for, the, for Jerusalem. They were kind of like the group that did that. So again, you see the level of popularity not so much. But watch this. It's in the middle of the night. 
And lo, verse 9, and lo, it's just like that. Whoa, there, there were the angels right there. Boom. I mean, it's this quiet, silent night. The sheep are all sleeping, right? And then all of a sudden, lo, there's the angel. Whoa, right? That'll get you up. That'll get you going. The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about, and they were sore. You better believe they were sore afraid. You would be afraid too. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. They knew where that was. The city of David was Bethlehem. A Savior, which is Christ. That's the word Messiah. The anointed one, the one they've been waiting for, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. In other words, I want you, this is a sign. When you see this, you're going to know it. Uh, see, when you go to the Hilton Inn, which is right on the outskirts, it's just right by the airport there in Bethlehem, and you go into that and you go downstairs, and you ask, where's Jesus? And he'll take you up to the upper suite, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be immaculate, and they won't let you in, but that's okay. You just keep begging. And... No, it's not like that. You're saying too much animation, Larry, <laughs> knock it off. But no, what did he say? He said this. He said, you're going to find this. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, Lying in a feed bunk. That sounds like it's right up our alley. Can you see the shepherds? We can go there. Because you know what? If it was at the Hilton, they couldn't have got in. They couldn't have got in. In fact, I doubt if Jesus could, could have got in there. Oh, that's right. He couldn't even get in and in. Do you, do you see this? Do you see this? All of Jerusalem missed Jesus, but the shepherds didn't. Jerusalem never even got the message. They were too busy worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And suddenly, verse 13, again, woof, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to one another, let us now go one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. They came with haste. Mark that. I, I just I like that because on the other we go back to Matthew chapter two and there's the religious leaders. Oh, oh yeah, Herod, you know, yeah, he's 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 in Bethlehem. Right? What do you think? Do you think God just goes, oh, oh, and that—that's—that's—that's that's, that's the guys that are supposed to be working for me, oh, right? The shepherds. I can count on those shepherds, though, just like I could count on David. David was an awesome shepherd. He made a great leader for a country, didn't he? He trusted God when there was a great big dude called Goliath, and you know what trained him? As he protected his sheep. Shepherds make great leaders. Shepherds make great leaders. And here are these shepherds following God's instructions. There's Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger in a feed trough. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning. I like that. They made known. They couldn't keep it to themselves. I imagine when they went down to the 7-Eleven or that, the Exxon convenience store that was right on the edge of town. Guys, you will not believe it. The Messiah is in the feed bunk over there at the stable next to the inn. It's unbelievable. And Mary and Joseph are there. It was, it was a, right? 
How many believed him? I don't know. Probably <laughs> It would have been a small group, wouldn't it? Yeah, it wouldn't have been many. You're just a shepherd. What would you know? What do you mean the Messiah? <laughs> what? Do you see it? How easy Jesus was to miss? How easy was he, he was to miss? I want to show you one more. Oh, we got to write down. I'm just going to put Jerusalem. They missed him. They were too busy. There's one more. And you're wondering, what would that be? I thought we went through this. In fact, let's keep, let's keep, uh, we'll read the rest of our passage. What they had seen, oh, I'm sorry, verse 18. And all, that, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And again, I, that wonder, I don't know what that means. Probably some of them said, you know, we should probably check that out ourselves or some. Uh, that's, just, that's just those shepherds. I mean, come on, let's get real. You know, they don't, they don't pay attention to those people. But it was interesting that it made them think. It made them think. Now, here we go. Mary, <laughs> what do you think Mary's doing right now? Oh, my goodness. What is this about? I mean, I have this angel Gabriel, and, 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 and he comes and he says, I'm going to have a baby, and, and, and I don't know a man, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on me, and I'm going to become pregnant. And then uh, and Joseph, I finally, he's finally on my side. And here I am in a foreign town, 85 miles from home, and I had to give birth in a feed bunk. And, 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 and here's these shepherds come and, 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 and check out Jesus. What am I supposed to make of this? You know what she did? It says this. I love this verse. I love this verse. Here's, here's this young girl, and they all that... Her, I'm sorry, uh, verse 19. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. She was right. She was right there, wasn't she? I love it. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now, again, uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You say, boy, I can't believe you could fast forward. That's, that's okay. As we, go, as we go forward now, think about this. For the next couple of years, what happened? Remember Herod? We, we were back there. And the wise men come. And then God warns the wise men. Uh, uh, yeah, warns the wise men, but he also warns Joseph. He says, oh, by the way, uh, Mr. Fearless Leader, Herod, is going to come. And he's going to try to kill everyone in Bethlehem, all the boys in Bethlehem. So I want you to go to Egypt. And Joseph said, I don't want to go to Egypt. I'm tired of traveling. No. Zoom. He followed God. Very focused. I love, and again, these are two young people that fully are engaged in trusting God. There's no way. You cannot get any other answer to that. They go to Egypt. Herod kills all of the baby boys that are two years old and, and two years and younger in Bethlehem just to make sure he gets this kid. And I'm, that, that's appalling, is it not? But again, when you're fearful of losing the things that you really have as your God, everything else is, is easy to do. I think of our country today, no matter what it is, what, and you think in your own minds, what it is that will cause people to do anything to take lives. Anything can happen. And, and here we go. Okay, now I, gotta, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. They go to Egypt, and then where did they go? God, in a dream, said, oh, Herod, Herod is gone. You're now safe to return where? Where, where did we go back to? Bethlehem? To Nazareth. Went back to the homeland. Went back to the hometown. Tell How long was Jesus there? Yeah, until he was about 30. So that's hometown, isn't it? Graduated from high school. Got a job with dad, 
Got the shingle outside, says Joseph's carpentry and son. He's pounding nails, building stuff. And you know he's perfect. Just ask his siblings. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Mom just lets him get away with murder because he never does anything wrong, right? He would have a reputation, wouldn't he? Of course he would have. They knew him in Nazareth. And you're wondering, where are we going with this? Let's go to Luke chapter 4. Let's just turn a page. Luke chapter 4, and let's, we'll start at verse 16. Actually, verse 14. Now, what's happened in Luke chapter 4 is the fact that, uh, in fact, I'll just read a verse, and then you guys can read the first 13 verses later today. It says, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, this is chapter 4, verse 1, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he didn't eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. This is the time of the temptation that Satan unleashed on the Son of God. Verse 13, we'll find the very end of it. You can read that on your own. And when the devil had ended all of the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Uh, That is the same with us too, by the way. He's a busy guy. Just because you get, when, when you, you know, have you, ever, have you gotten through a temptation? Uh, first, you need to memorize this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There's no temptation that has taken you as such as is common to man, but God will with the temptation give you a way to escape it. You need to know that. Somewhere in there is a way for you to get away. And then you say, whew, now he's gone forever. No, he's not. He'll come again. He'll try it again. Well, here's Jesus after doing that for 40 days. There was three. I'm, 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 I'm digressing. Let me go to verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Remember that. That's in the Nazareth, Nazareth area. And there went out a fame of him throughout all of the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, this is probably new information now. Up until this time, Jesus would have just been the boy that came with the family and would have been with that group of people in that synagogue for, again, it's not quite 30 years because he was gone to Egypt for a couple probably. But now he's back. This is hometown synagogue. This is going to church every Saturday. That's where you're at. This day, he gets up and he reads this. Now, if he was, it would be in Isaiah chapter 61, but here we have the the correlative passage that repeats it for us in Luke chapter 4. It says in verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is chapter 61, if you were to keep track. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Then he began to say unto them, This is the day, or I'm sorry, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, this was a a messianic uh, prediction. Uh, What verse was in? Verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, what are you going to say? Isn't this Joseph's kid? (laughs) Right? Just can't get through it. It's too familiar. It's too familiar. 
what do you mean? The mis- this is Joseph's son. He's been beating nails for 28 years. Well, that's a little. He, he, well, he wasn't that young. 25 years, right? Keep going. It gets worse. And then he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily, truly, I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah. The prophet and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. Now that's going to get you fired up, right? When Jesus says that, watch this. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And rose up, thrust him out of the city, led him into the brow of the hill whereon to their city was built, that they might cast him down, basically throw him off a cliff. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. <laughs> Whoa. I think Nazareth missed Jesus. And isn't it amazing? Sometimes we become so familiar with the gospel. We've, you may be, you may be, maybe you're here today and you've heard the gospel a million times that Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins. And pretty soon it just becomes so familiar that it's just, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the Nazareth, the Nazareth, Nazareth, is that the right word? Okay, I was going to go to Nazareneths, but that's not right. Okay. Anyway, you're with me though. All of the inhabitants of Nazareth couldn't get past the familiarity of Jesus. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Sometimes we become so familiar, so familiar, we lose track of the importance of what is being said. Now that's, if you go back to John for a moment, John chapter 1, John talks about this in the opening of his letter. John chapter 1, verse 12. If this isn't exactly true following that, I can't think of it was. And as you're turning there to John chapter 1, I'm also going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to take you there, but even Jesus' family, they didn't believe him. What, 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 what do you mean you're the Messiah? Come on, Mom, that's enough. Now let's get this guy straightened out. Dad, he... I'm pretty sure Mary didn't say anything. He is the Messiah. I know. I was there. I watched those shepherds come in. And God had, through the angel, told them what to say. And then the wise men came. And I've watched this son grow. I've watched him. In fact, when he went to the pastor, remember that? He went to the pastor. He was like 12 or 13. And he goes, into the, he goes into the temple in Jerusalem. And he starts teaching the teachers. Who is this kid, right? He's the son of God. crazy it's wild but it wasn't until jesus christ was crucified buried and rose again and showed himself one of his brothers half brothers not full brother half brother was james and in first corinthians chapter 15 it says that jesus appeared to many up to 501 group and james that'll get her done that'll get her done (laughs) Uh, Jesus, I thought you were, hi, James. That'll get her done, won't it? You see, he was wearing those 
scars. And you know what happened to James. He became a leader in the church. In fact, was one of the first martyrs. He died for his faith in his brother, Jesus Christ. He missed him for a while, but he ultimately found him. That's the cool thing about God is his grace is sufficient and he's long-suffering that none would perish but would come to repentance. Uh, I told you to go to John. Let's go there quickly now. Uh, John chapter 1 and uh, verse 10. We're going to start there. Verse 10. Now, maybe, do you mind if I just read this passage? This is a fantastic chapter opening for John. Are you okay with that? Good. No one answered, so I'm good with that. Verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. Now watch. He was in the world... And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came onto his own, and his own received him not. We've just been looking at this, friends, even at his birth. Then verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 12, watch. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is a powerful verse right there. Unbelief. Literally the number one reason that these missed Jesus. I've got to write this down. Nazareth. So there's five, five groups of people or people that missed Jesus. The innkeeper, Herod, religious leaders, people of Jerusalem, and the people of Nazareth. Refused to believe. Refused to believe. I'm going to, I'd like, now, I've never done it quite this way before, but so far we've been talking about God, Emmanuel, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. And you see him in this, as Philippians chapter 2, that's a, you should re, take that, read that tonight. Chapter 2 of Philippians begin at verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 5, go through verse 11. It talks about true humility, the epitome of humility. That is that God, who thought it not robber to be in the place of God, literally became this baby, this man, what was his purpose? Well, we're going to talk about it in just a second. But what I want to go now to is who this baby really was. Who this baby really was. I think I've mentioned sometime today, there's a lot of men, Caesar Augustus being one of those. He was a man that thought he was God. In fact, they really worshipped him as God. He was, to them, the savior of the world. There's been a lot of those. Remember that Jonestown thing? What was his name? Oh, Jim Jones, right? What did he say he was? He said he was a Messiah. He's God. You need to worship me. But what's crazy is for God to want to become a man. What would possess an awesome, sovereign, completely righteous, holy, omnipotent, infinite God to become man? I want to take you now to a passage of Scripture that details for us who this child, Jesus Christ, really is. 
Take your Bibles, turn them to Colossians chapter 1. We don't have time to fully engage it, but I, I want you to see this. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. And chapter 1 is fantastic in the whole sense of the, premise, of the supremacy of Christ. But we're going to dial into just five verses. I'd like to start in verse 15. Colossians chapter 1. And let's go. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. So speaking of Jesus Christ who is the image of the invisible God, capital G. The firstborn of every creature. Stop for just the image of God. And when you looked at Jesus, that is God. Wow. And the firstborn, not just the sense of firstborn, but the sense of ranking. He is the firstborn of every creature. He's number one. There's no one like him. He's supreme over all. Watch verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. Let's stop there for a moment. One of the things that does uh, totally, it just blows me out of the water sometimes, is the sense of magnitude and the magnificence of the, of the, the universe of which we find ourselves uh, just living. And, and you know, sometimes our world can get pretty small. Uh, pride is an amazing thing. It? it makes that world just, there's three people usually in your life if you're really full of pride. Me, myself, and I. That's right. It's, it becomes a really small world. I, I think of our universe. The size of it. The size of it. If you're going to take our sun, uh, let's digress for just a second because I think it's cool. I like to see how, because Jesus Christ made everything that you can see or even fathom, think about in the size. We don't even know how big our universe is. Have even figure it out. Let's take our sun. Okay, it's big, right? It's really big. Really big. Well, let's just say, for instance, that you could, you could take a hole and start pouring into the sun. The earth. Do you know how many earths it would take that would fit inside the sun? That's really close. 1.2 million. But there's still room for 4.3 million moons. Right. Oh, my goodness. How far away is the sun from here? 93 million miles. It takes seven and a half to eight seconds. I'm not positive into my math. So 93 million divided by 186,000 miles per second, right? That's the speed of light. That's fast. That's really In fact, at that speed, to get to the moon, you know how, it would take, how long it takes light to get to the moon? Oh, how far away is your moon? The moon is right out there, right? looks like a long ways away, doesn't it? Remember, man has really thought they've done something. What year was it that land, man, not moon landed on man. When did man land on the moon? What year was that? July 20th, 1969. Very nice. I would have never gotten it. 1969. And we thought we were something, didn't we? Go ahead. I mean, man lands on moon. It made the headlines, right? That's a pretty big deal. You know how far away it is? It's 211,000 miles. Oh, what a letdown, right? Wow, that's just like, by the speed of light, it's one and a half seconds. Poof, you're there. See, that's what I wanted you to get right now. I wanted to go, poof, you're there. There's a, there's a star that's called Betelgeuse, and it's not spelled like it sounds. Okay, I'll just leave it there. It is 880 quadrillion miles away. How many of you know your quadrillions? (laughs) 
Let me put it in terms of that. Now, I just said if we were going to go at the speed of light to go to the moon, it would be one and a half seconds. Poof, we're there. You've just went to the moon. That's pretty fast. Remember how smart we were in 1969? How long did that take us? A while, right? Okay, at the same speed, again, from here to the moon, poof, we're there. You know how long it takes to go from that star, which is actually the diameter is the size of our first four planets in their orbit. No, I'll do it this way. The Earth's orbit is as big as the diameter of this star. You know how far away it is? 640 light years. Now, you could actually get to the moon in 27 years if you walk 24 miles a day. See, that seems so approachable. It's so achievable, isn't it? Now, I just told you we went to a... Actually, it's very close. It's a close star. 640 years at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. And that's just the beginning. And my Jesus created that. And he's in the manger. Are you starting to get the sense of humility, what God did for us? That's crazy. That's crazy. Let's keep going. Where I've got you in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16, it goes on to say, For by him were all things created. We just talked briefly about some of that that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Now, when you think, when you see that dominions and principalities, thrones, those speak of the angelic realm. He's above them. He's supreme to them. He made them. And he is before all things. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. Uh, again, I'm running out of time. You've noticed probably for a while that I have been running out of time. But it's amazing to me. It's not just um, the deist would say that God set it up and then he's been removed from it. In other words, stuff just happens and he's not part. Oh, I can't believe that for a second. Not for a second. If there wasn't some way, somehow, for that, to, all of the things that, that remain together, that consist, that hold together, I'm telling you what, the atoms that are in this room, if someone stopped, if those energies for just a, a split second, we would blow up into oblivion. Jesus Christ has spoken as being holding all things together. Why, does the, why is the earth at a 23 degree angle? Because it was straight up and down. Can you imagine what happened to our coast, our, our, our oceans? Oh, baby. We'd have frozen things that you couldn't, and pretty soon... You see, it's just not possible. Why is it 23? I could go on for days. It's amazing how intricate and absolutely unbelievable that creation and design speak for itself. And Jesus did all of that. Let's keep going. We're just about done. Just about done. Not only is the relationship to the Father as being the, all that He is, the essence of God is all in Jesus Christ. He made all things. He made the angels who are his servants, but he's also, in verse 18, he's the head of the, church, of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. The very church, the essence of we being a living organism is because he died for us. Now, let's look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Everything that God is, is in Jesus Christ. And watch, this is, this, is the one, this is the verse I want to leave you with. And having made peace 
through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, that is to bring back all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. That literally was his purpose. Why God, that great, creative, awesome, omnipotent, sovereign God became the man, that baby in that feed trough was because he wanted to get back what sin had stolen. Now that is love. That, my friends, is love. You mark down anything you want to say, but I'm going to say this. Don't miss that Jesus. Because he's coming back. In fact, the part that you, you can do this in your own homework. If you go to Isaiah chapter 61, you'll find that Jesus quit reading right in the middle of the verse. Because that's why he came the first time. And the second time, it talks about he's coming in triumph. He's coming as a leader, as a king, and he is in charge. I want that Jesus. I don't want to miss that Jesus. Don't you miss him either. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love and care. Thank you for the scriptures. Looking at the supremacy of Christ, we've looked at the total, if you sense, in the sense of vulnerabilities, that little baby in a manger in a feed trough that was God with us. Emmanuel. And looking at Colossians chapter 1, the supremacy, the magnitude, the sovereignty, the overwhelming awesomeness is mind-blowing in the infinity, in power, and magnitude, and glory. Father, thank you for sharing, for sharing Jesus with us. I'm not sure I would have done that. I know I wouldn't have. I'd have just started over. But that's why we can say that you're long-suffering and you'd wish that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance. And Father, today, if there's someone here in this group that does not know Jesus personally, that you're reaching out to them right now. You're knocking on the door of their heart. Just accept me by faith. Give me who you are. Trust me with who I am. Oh, Father, what a great God you are. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to just worship, to praise your name, to be honored with your presence. Now go with us, especially in this season now. We want to glorify and to honor our Lord Jesus. But also, Father, may be a time of, for our families to be together and to just commemorate the true gift of Christmas, the true giving of life. And Father, may we receive what you have given to us. Take us and use us. Help us in our journey. That you've, you have us at just the fullness of times as well. Just as Jesus came exactly, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of times. There's not a person in this room that isn't here except by your design and by your purpose and by your will. And now, Father, may we do that. May we accomplish that. May we look to you. May we focus on all that you are. And these things we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name.